Episode 5, Parallax. Written and directed by Sean Hybor. Performed by Chris Butera. Every second of life we experience on this earth is misunderstood in that moment. It's impossible to understand the implications of your decisions until the ripple of effects have played out for years and years afterward. You might be sitting in an inconsequential coffee shop someday using your iPhone to look up how many calories are in your mocha latte when suddenly you think to yourself, Huh. Shit. I can't believe I told that kid by the front door to fuck off. But really, that kid didn't know any better. It was his idiot father who was schlepping him around asking for a handout. If you want new uniforms, coach, set up a car wash. I don't want to give you my money just because you happen to be standing in front of a location where I purchased my orange juice, you know? Kierkegaard famously said, Life can be only understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I wrote that on the back of my notebook in big black letters in my freshman level philosophy class. I thought it would be my mantra. Something that I'd live my life by. Searching for truth and beauty and meaning and all that shit. It didn't really work out that way. My boyfriend and I took that class together. He said the only reason he took it was because he knew that the only way I'd wake up for a 7am class was, was if he had to do the same. He was right. I thought that was kind of him. We were the two oldest students in the class. Each of us opting to skip college straight out of high school and try to figure ourselves out first. It was sometimes surreal being in my 30s and being surrounded by kids. I mean, I can drive, buy porn, and, and some of them can buy weed legally. But they're essentially kids. They have no idea what the rest of their lives have in store for them. Anyway, back to Kierkegaard. He really had that shit figured out. Because now, when, when I look back at that morning class, I, I see differences in the way he behaved. In the way he behaved. I needed him to help me get up for class, and he needed me to help him realize that he was falling out of love with me. After that semester, we broke up, and I fell apart. You always hear about people becoming the worst version of themselves when they're heartbroken, honestly. I don't know if this idea has manifested itself into existence because the movies have told us it's so, but I didn't do any of that bullshit. I didn't start drinking heavily or eating gallons of ice cream or hooking up with every person I could find. I bought hiking gear. Prior to this, he and I had only done a few novice hikes, really not extending myself more than I felt comfortable with. Most recently, we hiked the Mesa Trail without much difficulty. I brought my film camera and took pictures of the thinning skyline disappearing into the wispy white clouds. Shortly after we returned, he sat down to tell me he had been thinking a lot about our future. You know what that means? Huh. I, 
I never got the film developed because why would I? So it's just sitting in a drawer somewhere. I left for Nederland the day before the hike. It was only about an hour and a half drive, but I wanted to settle in the night before and get some good rest. The Devil's Thumb Lake Loop is a strenuous hike, but not impossible. Even after training for some time, it's still regarded as moderately difficult. It was certainly the most adventurous I had ever been. The ascension of the trail is approximately 2,400 feet from the base, with another 800 feet added if you choose to climb to the top of the pass. I was going to climb to the top of the pass. I was going to climb to the top of the pass. I was going to climb to the top of the pass. Almost immediately, I realized that this trail was going to be something altogether different from what I had experienced before this. There were many hikers on the trail throughout the day, creating more of a group experience than a search for meaning in solitude. I was fine with that. I'm not going to tell you about the whole trek because we all know that's not really all that interesting. But there are things that happened on the hike that I can't fully explain. As I ascended higher up the mountain, I started feeling like my brain was reformatting itself. Thoughts layered on top of other thoughts. Not adjacent thoughts, but overlapping. It was fucking with my head. All around me, I felt this sort of intangible energy, like this sheet of galaxy that separated Earth and Heaven was shimmering simultaneously with my perception of reality. I felt like I could take a step forward, and I'd be entering the bridge between two worlds, fused together seamlessly, reflecting each other like mirror images. My mind raced, and I became disoriented. I tried to find my footing, but every step was like walking along the outer edge of a marble. Some of the gaslight that I was feeling was likely a result of me losing air. I'm not sure if this is scientific or not, but I smoked a ton of cloves during 8th and 9th grade, and I think my lungs are pretty much a tar pit from those two years. The next several minutes are mostly unaccounted for. I opened my eyes to see the faces of a few kind-hearted hikers looking back at me, offering me water, asking me if I was alright. I'm not sure if I was or not, but I said I was. During that time, which couldn't have been much time at all, I saw, well, I... I'm not even quite sure what I saw. They were sort of like dreams. But like, remembering a dream, only it, it was different than I remember it. As I was dreaming, I remember dreaming this same thing before, but it felt like it was real in the moment, as if I was seeing an alternate version of my dream world. I'm not even sure if any of what I just said makes sense. After gathering my bearings, I started back down the trail. 
I was back at my car as the sun was going down, and I started my drive back home. I stopped on the way home and grabbed some Thai food. I was famished, but I felt good. No residual effects. I took a bath, I blocked some trolls on Twitter, and I watched some TV in bed. Not that any of this matters, but I felt normal. That's all I'm trying to say. I felt normal. And then I fell asleep. For the next few weeks, I was having constant headaches. I'd be sitting at my desk at work, or going for a jog, or even just walking through Target when I'd get this ricochet of pain bouncing around my head. It felt like the closest thing I could say was debilitating without offending people who are actually facing debilitating circumstances. That shit hurt. And I wanted it to stop hurting. So I decided to go talk to someone. I called my insurance company, who luckily covered mental health visits, and I was recommended to a local counselor. I was now the type of person who sees a counselor. Big day for me. I had never been to a counselor before that day. I, I wasn't sure what to expect, honestly. You hear so many stories about kooks or quacks, people who just want to take your money. And then you meet some people who swear by counseling. You can't really trust anything, I guess. You just have to experience it yourself. I showed up 30 minutes early to fill out some paperwork. The receptionist put out her hand to shake mine, but I hesitated and gave her a half-assed handshake. Then I thought about that fucking handshake for the next 30 minutes. Why did she have to even offer to shake my hand? Isn't that weird for a doctor's office? I rationalized how my weak handshake was actually her fault, not mine. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards, right? Time slipped again, like it did on the mountain. I felt frozen. I was unable to move, like I was floating in dark matter. It's not that I didn't have the ability to move, or rather the atmosphere in which I was floating wouldn't allow it. It was... It was heavy all around me. You know those orbs in the mall where you give some 16-year-old kid a few bucks and they strap you into a giant hamster ball? You're floating around every which way trying not to puke. It felt a little like that. And then I heard her say, open your eyes, open your eyes, Newcomb, open your eyes. My eyes popped open, and a young woman was sitting across from me. She told me she wanted to try something. Who was she? When did I sit down in this room, in this chair across from her? How many times have I been here? She asked me to tell her what I remember. Wherever your thoughts take me, she said. I didn't even know what she was talking about. 
My head started to hurt again. The room was spinning. I told her I was sorry. I think I may have fallen asleep. And then she spoke slowly and clearly. She asked me if I wanted to try again. Try what again? What are you talking about? Where the fuck am I? She spoke deliberately. One, three, zero, nine, three. Ready? Ready? I remember my backyard. I used to stand against the fence holding a baseball bat as a kid. My dad would throw me soft toss pitches. He tried to turn me into a switch hitter when I was really young. He told me that Mantle was a switch hitter and that I would be more valuable as a player if I was too. I was too young to know what he was talking about. In the backyard, we had a metal fence that surrounded the property. There was a gate that led out into the woods. I never wanted to go near that gate. It always creeped me out and I could never remember why. One time a bee stung me while I was playing out in the backyard and I ran inside to tell mom and dad. They put some ice on my arm and gave me a coke. The bruise from the bee sting was mostly gone. I was in the backyard playing in the sandbox. I must have been a toddler. And there was this girl playing with me right about my age. I don't remember much about her. The gate started making a squeaking noise and I looked up from the sandbox to see a man standing inside of the gate. He held his finger up to his mouth to shush me. I didn't recognize him. Then, very slowly, he walked toward us. He reached down and picked up the little girl I was playing with. He was calm, and I wasn't scared. Then he tiptoed back through the gate. I never saw him again, but I remember that little girl looking back at me, scared. I didn't yell. I didn't do anything. The girl and the man were just gone. The, uh, I can see, I can see, I can see. The last rays of light were flooding the room, giving off a gentle glimmer. I knew it was him. I knew it was him. He took a few small steps into the room and adjusted his lapel. He spent an extra few moments looking into the mirror at himself, but not in a way that showed vanity, in a way that showed doubt and fear. He considered himself for once as more than a person, as a being. And then he walked out of the room. I followed him as he shook a few hands and received a few slight warm gestures on his shoulder. The smiles were reserved and disappointed. A banner hung slightly lopsided from a light fixture. 
It read, We'll be back in 64. I watched as the man gathered himself and walked out onto a small stage. Lights flooding the podium. He took a moment to look out among the crowd and sighed. We're not even close to being done, he said. The crowd reacted with muted applause. They all knew what this moment meant. From this moment forward, a new future will be shaped. Either or. I woke up in bed. My sheets covered in sweat. I walked to the shower and noticed my hiking gear all packed up and sitting against my closet door. I don't remember that being there. I give myself plenty of time to get ready. I put on a podcast. I throw some gel in my hair. I'm feeling good. Rested, actually. For once, I feel like I have my shit together. I decided to stop by my favorite inconsequential coffee house and order the same drink I order every weekday. Tall, dark coffee. Heavy cream. 67 calories. As I waited at the counter, I noticed a man sitting by the corner of the front entrance. He was handsome, scruffy beard, pudgy, black headphones over his ears, a gray Back to the Future t-shirt peeking out of a yellow zip-up hoodie. He was leaning back in his chair and staring intently at his screen, like he was agonizing over every word of the sci-fi fantasy epic he was writing in his off hours from his job at UPS. I've seen him before. I'm sure of it. My attention is diverted as the girl at the counter calls my name and asks me if I'm sure I don't want any sweetener. No thank you, I always say. I turn and see the man in the corner again, although I'm not sure I ever really stopped thinking about him. I see what he's doing, and I realize I have a memory of him sitting in this exact corner, wearing that same hoodie, and scratching his beard as he tries to find a new word to replace stereopsis. In my memory, I walk past him as he furrows his brow frustrated, I'm mad at myself for not smiling at him as I pass. And then I leave, and that memory ends. The girl behind the counter calls my name again, and hands me my coffee. I make my way toward the front exit of the coffee house, and I can't shake the feeling of knowing exactly how this moment will go. And then I hear the handsome man whisper under his breath, Parallax! He reflects on this for a moment before he begins to type furiously at his computer. As I walk past him, confused, his eyes pop up to mine, and he smiles briefly. I'm too stunned to return the gesture, so I leave. I just leave without saying a word, and he returns to his screen, still typing out the new ending to his novel. Parallax was written and directed by Sean Hybor.
This episode was performed by Chris Butera. Doorway, the Constance theme song, is available to stream on Spotify, and a link to the song will also be provided in the show notes. Constance is an independent podcast that is only possible because of listeners like you. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell every single person you know about it. Episode 6 will be released in September, followed by Episode 7 and 8 in October, so stay tuned. You can follow Constance on Twitter at ConstancePod or visit our website at ConstancePodcast.com. Oh, 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 oh,